0: Good to um, be with you, church. Good that you're here. Welcome to Kings. So glad that you're here today. And um, I don't know about you, I'm ready for spring now. Anyone ready for warm weather? Yeah, maybe it's just me. I go through this whole thing of longing to get my flip-flops out of the wardrobe. Spring is coming, everyone. Hallelujah. Just to let you know, next couple of weeks, um, Mother's Day next Sunday, we recognize for some that's a day of celebration. For others, that can be quite a hard and painful day. Um, next Sunday we're just going to worship Jesus together. Um, we're going to continue our Kingdom Citizen series. Uh, there's going to be a gift for every lady in the church, whether Mother's Day is a hard day or, or a, a good day for you, there's going to be a gift for every lady in the church. I just want to encourage us to be family on that day, to worship together, to be together. That's next Sunday. The week after, we've got the legend that is Dave Devonish with us. Um, some of you will know that name, Dave Devonish. just phenomenal guy, who has had an incredible impact in many nations around the world, planting churches in some of the hardest-to-reach nations on earth. And um, he's coming as well to preach and part of our Kingdom series. And just want to recommend you don't miss that morning, the 18th of March. He's a phenomenal guy, phenomenal stories, great teacher that's coming up. So what does it mean to live as a citizen of the Kingdom of God? That's what we've been looking at over the last couple of Sundays, couple of months actually here at King's Church. And last week, I preached about kingdom finances, specifically this verse from Matthew 6, where Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We looked at why money was such a bad master. Now, kingdom citizens are not called to conform to the patterns of this world. We're called to live according to the culture and the values of the kingdom of heaven, and that is certainly true when it comes to what we do with our resources, what we do with our money. We need to be informed by the Bible, inspired by the character of God. And really this week is part two of the message that I began last week. Jesus is completely clear that um, money is a spiritual thing. Uh, we can't separate our lives off into kind of this is the stuff that I do in my money and then this is my Christian life over here. Jesus is clear that what we do with our money is a spiritual thing that they're, they're not disconnected and what we do with our money says something about what we really believe about who he is about what we're here for about our lives and some of the evidence actually of what god has done in our lives is seen most clearly in the decisions that we make with our finances so for example in i'm um, luke 19 i'm just going to be i'm going all around the place today in the bible Stay with me. Uh, the verses will be on the screen. If you want to turn up, make sure what I'm saying is true. Please do that in your Bibles. Luke 19, we hear a story about a guy called Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a very little man. Um, but when Jesus came to see him, um, he had to climb a tree in order to see Jesus because he was so short. Sure. And they have this conversation. He has an encounter with Jesus. And Zacchaeus' response, Luke 19, verse 8, is this. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Zacchaeus's response to an encounter with Jesus impacted immediately his finances and the choices that he made with his money and the decisions that he made with his money. In fact, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house in response to that. Jesus is like, I'm seeing there's genuine evidence of change here because of your response and how it's impacting decisions about money. We see a similar thing actually back in Luke chapter 3. John the Baptist is preaching. John the Baptist came before Jesus to prepare the way for Jesus. And John the Baptist preached the message of repentance, get right with God. And people said to him, well, what does that look like? What does it look like to get right with God, to repent. Repent is to make an about turn and to live in a different way. What what does it look like, people said. And John the Baptist said this, Luke 3 verse 11, what should we do, the crowd said, and John said, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. What does genuine repentance look like? Generosity. It impacts the choices you make with your money. If you have two shirts, why do you have two? You only need one, give one away. It's like there's a cost to it. Be generous with your money, John the Baptist was saying. And then some other people asked him, well, what should we do? Tax collectors came and said, well, teacher, what should we do? And he said to them, verse 13, don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. What's that? Well, it's about financial integrity and honesty. What does it look like for us to repent and get our lives right with God? Well, don't collect more money than you should. Don't fiddle your tax returns. Don't make extra claims on your staff expenses that aren't valid. Don't try and make a bit of extra money for yourself at someone else's expense. You see, the Bible's practical. If you're going to follow God and get right with him, then your financial dealings need to be transparent and full of honesty and integrity. I'm not trying to fiddle anyone here. Then some soldiers came and said, well, what should we do then, John the Baptist, to get right with God? And he says to this in verse 14, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Don't extort money. Don't use threats or blackmail or force to get money for yourself. Be content with your your pay. Live content. Don't live forgetting all the time. Be content with what you're paid. It's amazing. Three different groups of people asked John the Baptist, what does repentance look like then? and he says that well it looks like generosity it looks like financial integrity and it looks like contentment all about money and resources there's the three responses that he gave to them it's amazing contentment honesty generosity maybe the most radical expression of this can be seen in the book of acts where the very first church filled with the holy spirit started trying to work out what it looked like to follow jesus together and Acts 4.32 tells us that all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. So this first community, filled with the Spirit, expressed themselves with radical generosity. It goes on later on in that passage to say that some people sold houses and sold lands and laid the money at the leader's feet in order to invest in the kingdom of God. We can see very easily and very quickly... That what we do with our money is a spiritual thing. It's an overflow of of the repentance and the encounter with Jesus that we've had. If Jesus has taken hold of our life, then he has also taken hold of our finances. And if Jesus has not taken hold of your finances, then he's not fully taken hold of your life. These things are linked. Now for me, I'm going to be completely honest here. Um, The area where I struggle to let Jesus take hold of my finances is to be able to Fully trust that he is able to provide what I need. So I lean towards tightness, okay? I am naturally tight. You may not know that about me, but I am. I'm naturally tight. Um, That's my preference, okay, is to be tight. It's my natural self. By the grace of God and the help of the Spirit, I hope I'm becoming more generous. But without that, I'd be so stingy. Honestly, I really would be the stingiest man on earth. I'm, I'm not bothered by stuff. That's not my issue. I'm really not interested clothes and possessions. I wear shoes until there's holes in the shoes, not because I have a poverty spirit, just because I hate shopping. And it's just like, I just don't want to go shopping. These shoes here, these Converse, four quid from a charity shop. Hallelujah. (laughs) This t-shirt was handed down to our family from someone I don't even know who. And I'm like, well, I'll take that. I just don't care. Honestly, I'm not interested. Dominique buys my clothes. I really don't care for shopping at all. For me, I, the reason I don't like going shopping is primarily this. There's shops there. <laughs> and, and if there's shops there, then they're designed for one thing, which is to spend your money. And why on earth would you want to do that? So for shopping, it's not an issue of, of anything other than I just don't really want to let go of my money. Um, and there are times when Dominique has told me how much he spent on someone's birthday present. And the voice inside my head is this. You spent how much? Now, I don't say that out loud, until now, of course, in front of hundreds of people and online and everything else, but that's my natural default, is how much did you spend? Because natural, my natural self leads towards stinginess, tendency towards tightness. I want to be in control of my money. I want to hold it close to my chest. And Jesus is teaching me what it means to live more freely and to trust him more when it comes to finances. So it's something I'm working on. I'm on a journey. But I want to become more like Jesus. I hope that's the goal of every follower of Jesus, which means I want to become more compassionate. It means I want to become more patient. It means also I want to become more generous because he's the most generous person who ever lived. We remembered the great Billy Graham last Sunday. Again, I want to quote him here. He said that if a person gets his attitude towards money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area in his life so how did kingdom citizens get their attitude towards money right where do we start well the first place we start is this by recognizing that everything we have including our money and possessions are his they belong to the Lord's everything we have is his If, if we don't land this in our hearts and nothing else that I say will make sense today as a citizen of the kingdom of God, you now come under the rule and gracious reign of a loving father, and by submitting to the lordship of Jesus, you are surrendering everything you are and everything you have to him, including your resources, money, finance, and possessions. We read in the Old Testament about King David, one of the most important characters in the Bible in the Old Testament, and he had the opportunity to gather an offering, a collection, to build a temple, a permanent place of worship for the Lord, for God. And there's this beautiful verse in 1 Chronicles 29 where David says, Who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hands. He recognized the joy of generosity. In, in building the temple, as they brought their gifts towards making this happen, David knew all we're actually doing is giving back to God what he has already graciously given to us. It belongs to him. It's his. It's not ours. And this is foundationally important. When we think money is ours, we're a little bit more reluctant to let go of it. When we recognize it's his We ask him, well, what do you want me, therefore, to do with it? The phrase the Bible uses for this is stewardship. Stewardship. To be a steward is to manage or to look after something on someone else's behalf. God has entrusted to us certain things in order for us to steward them well whilst we are here on earth. He has entrusted to us our time, the time that he has given us, we are to steward that well. We are to use our time well whilst we have time on the earth. He has given us gifts and talents and abilities, and we are to steward them well for the glory of God. We are to think carefully about the things that he has given us. And he has given us some more than others, but he has given us resources, possessions, or finance, and we are to steward them well. He has entrusted them to us for us to care for and consider what we do with these things. Our money does not exist so that we can do with it what we please, according to the Bible. Our money belongs to the Lord, therefore our spending choices and habits are spiritual things. God's entrusted to us these things. Now, without this idea being at the very heart of the conversation, we'll miss everything else that the Bible says about generosity. If we don't land this thing in our hearts that it's all his then we'll begin to say, well, why should I be generous with my stuff? It's mine. When we realize it belongs to God, we begin to ask a different question. God, how do you want me to use the things that you have entrusted to me? It's a different question we begin to ask. So how do we grow in biblical generosity? How do we begin to think through what generosity looks like for each one of us? Well, Jesus is clear. Giving brings greater joy than getting. He says that in Acts 20, 35, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And I guess all of us know that to some degree, that actually there's great joy in blessing someone and giving to people. There's a joy in the giving. Um, Moments like birthdays and Christmas, when you see people open the gifts that you have got for them, there's a joy in it. You love to see it, obviously, if they want the gift, then sometimes it's a bit awkward if they don't want the thing you've got them. But generally, there's a joy in giving. It's blessed that actually to be generous rather than taking is a beautiful thing. Jesus says we're more blessed to give than to receive. But how do we start on that journey? And I use the word journey very, very deliberately because I don't think any of us ever get to the place where we think, well, that's fine, I'm fully living a completely generous life as Jesus did. I think we're all on that journey towards coming Christ-like. Let me try and unpack what I mean by that. I don't think that this is a static thing. As a Christian, I-, I long and desire for his word and his Holy Spirit to continue to shape and transform me. So I'm hoping that now, at this point in my life, I am more patient than I was 10 years ago because I've allowed the word of God and his Holy Spirit to come and shape and transform me. I'm hoping in 10 years' time, I'll be more patient than I am now because I want to ongoing, in an ongoing way, allow his Holy Spirit to change and transform me. It's a journey towards Christlikeness. Um, I want to grow in joy. I don't want to become a grumpy old man, okay? I, I find myself sometimes with a tendency towards becoming a grumpy old man. Um, you can stop talking amongst the two, the two of you down there at the front. Um... <laughs> I don't want to become grumpy, jumpy, all grumpy. I want to allow the joy of God to ever transform my heart. I want to be more joy-filled now in 10 years' time than I am now because the Holy Spirit's at work and he's a spirit of joy. Am I making sense here? It's got to be the same with generosity. I'm hoping I'm more generous now than I was 10 years ago, and I'm hoping I'll be more generous in 10 years' time than I am now because I'm wanting to grow to become more like Jesus, who is perfectly generous. Which means actually this thing isn't static. It's not like, a, well, I've ticked my standard order box, generous, it's done. No, no, it's like, okay, God, what does it look like for me to live a generous life? What do you want to do in my heart to grow in generosity? It's a journey. It's not static. Are you on that journey? Have you started that journey of generosity? Are you eagerly thinking through ways in which you can grow in the grace of generosity? Is your giving the same as it was five years, ten years, twenty years ago? Are you looking for opportunities where you can become generous? Because I believe we're called to grow in generosity. I've just read this great little book called Simply Generous. And we've got loads of copies of this to give away, actually, at the back. Um, It's a cracking little book. um, And it talks about what it means to really be generous. And it tells the story of a married couple who, when they got married, they made a vow to one another. And the vow was this. They said, we want to become more like Jesus in the area of generosity. So every year of our married life, we're going to seek to give a higher percentage than the year before. They made a deliberate and intentional plan To grow in the grace of generosity. It's not haphazard. It's not random. They're like, this is part of what we want to define our marriage. is generosity. So we're going to put a plan in place to grow in that journey. And every year, they review their giving. See, can we outgive what we did last year? Because they're wanting their hearts to grow. They're wanting to grow on this journey. You can read that. We've got copies at the back of that. Generosity is a journey. From stepping out to give for the first time to regular giving to abundant giving to spontaneous giving it's a journey that we are part of and we're all at different places on that journey and here's the thing every time we give every time we are generous we demonstrate we're not conforming to the patterns of this world we demonstrate that we do believe Jesus is right it's more blessed to give than to receive so how do we start that journey Let's just look at a few principles the Bible teaches us. 1 Corinthians 9, hugely important passage. Sorry, I think it's 2 Corinthians 9, not 1 Corinthians 9. It says this, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This verse teaches us before anything else that giving is a heart thing. It's a heart thing. It's about what's going on in our hearts. We should decide in our heart what to give. God is always more concerned with the state of our hearts than anything else. Jesus says that our treasure, our, our money and resources, actually goes where our heart is. That You can tell a lot about what's in someone's heart by what they spend their money on. It's a heart thing. So important. Generosity does not flow from the contents of your bank balance, it flows from your heart. It starts there. Elsewhere in the Bible, in Mark 12, Jesus is at the temple and he sees a load of people coming at the temple and, and putting their money in the offering plate. And he says, I saw all these wealthy people and they came in and put wads of cash. And then I saw this elderly um, widow um, who lived in poverty and she came and she put two tiny coins into the offering plate. And he said, I'm telling you, that widow has given far more than all the others with all their wads of cash. Because they are giving out of their wealth. She's given out of her poverty everything that she had. The guys putting the wads of cash in, it wasn't costing them anything. Their lifestyle still continued, as was. They still were able to spend money on what they wanted to spend money on. It didn't impact their lifestyle. There's no cost. There's no sacrifice. But for the lady in poverty... Jesus says she's given all that she has. That's cost her something. That's that's an act of generosity far and beyond the others. What's Jesus saying? It's a heart thing. It's not an amount thing. It's a heart thing. What's going on in your heart? It's not about what's the minimum I can get away with giving. It's like what's the maximum I can offer to Jesus. It's a heart thing. Jesus says that generosity begins there. John Wesley once said this, money never stays with me. It would burn me if it did. I'll throw it out of my hands as soon as possible, lest it should find its way into my heart. Here's a man who knows that money is a heart thing. it he can have a root in our heart. And actually, generosity flows from a glad heart. A heart which is changed by grace. A heart which is in response to grace. That's why we're told not to give reluctantly or under compulsion. God doesn't want us to give because we feel like we have to give. Reluctantly and begrudgingly. No, he wants us to give because we want to give, because we know it does us good, because we know this is God's character in his heart to be generous, because we know he's been so generous to us. So in all that I'm saying over these weeks, please don't feel like you have to be generous because you have to be generous. No, no, no. God wants a cheerful giver. Can you imagine one of my kids on their birthday? I'm Levi. He was eight recently. Can you imagine me giving him his present and him coming up and saying, Daddy, thank you so much for my gift, and me saying, well, I didn't want to give it to you, to be honest. (laughs) To be honest, I didn't want to get you anything, but your mom told me that I had to, because apparently that's the thing dads have to do on their birthdays. Can you imagine that response if Levi came up and said thank you, and I told him, well, I didn't really want to do it. I felt like I had to, because it's your birthday. No, no, of course. Of course I want to give to my kids. Of course I do. I want to see their faces when open the present. There's a joy in it. And the Bible says that's the same when it comes to our giving to God. There's to be a joy in it. Don't do it begrudgingly. Don't do it under compulsion. Do it cheerfully. Giving can be so much fun. Um, Dominique's always doing it. She's far more generous than I am, naturally. She will often, um, in town, if she sees someone who looks like they're having a bad day, will go and buy them flowers and just walk up to them and say, look, just to bless your day because um, she's discovered a joy in generosity. I know other people who, when they stay in a hotel, always write a card and put a gift voucher or money in for the person that's going to clean their room just because it's fun to do it. I know of someone else in the church who once stood behind someone in the shopping queue and as the shopping went through, the bill came up and she went forward with a swipe debit card and paid for the shopping, saying, just to bless you, have a good day, because it's fun. I know someone else who gave someone a car and the joy of the face of the family that received the car was overwhelming. There's a joy in it. There's a fun in it. There's been times, like, Dominique, we wanted to bless someone, but like a covert operation by putting something through their door. And so we kind of left the car around the corner with the engine running and dressed in black. We kind of stealth-like crawled up the path and through the letterbox and run off and drive off. It's like that's fun because there's a joy in generosity that God wants us to get our heads around, not begrudgingly or under compulsion. God, actually, remember, doesn't need our money. Okay. he's not short of a bob or two. It's not like we're tipping God when we give a gift. He knows because it's good for our heart. So generosity starts with our heart. How much? How often? Well, the Bible helps us. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1 to 2 says, Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatians to do on the first day of every week. Each one of you should set aside a sum of money and keep them with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collection will have to be made. So Paul's writing to a church in Corinth. He's writing to all the members, and he's saying to them, Look, each one of you, it's included in everyone, not just the super wealthy. Each one of you, when you take up a collection when you gather, just like we've done this morning, we take up a collection when we gather, each one of you, on the first day of the week, should set aside a sum of money. Well, why the first day of the week? Well, probably because people got paid weekly. Do it regularly. Don't do it randomly. Don't do it haphazardly. Regularly on the first day of the week when people get paid, bring your gifts. Each one of you, everyone, set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. That's how many people give here to the life of the King's Church. They give regularly through electronic giving. It's a regular thing. It's how Dominique and I contribute to the life of this church. As, as money comes in, we give regularly, consistently, because it's meant to be thought through and not random. There's spontaneous giving on top of that, but actually there's a regularity here. I believe that's a biblical principle. And Paul says, give and keep in with a person's income. So it's not like a subscription fee where we all pay the same. It's not like a gym membership. No, no, we give in proportion to our income. And that changes depending on where you are at. Some have less, some have more. Elsewhere in Deuteronomy in the Bible, it says that we should give in proportion to the blessings the Lord your God has given you. So it's in keeping with income. God knows your heart, God knows your income. It's in keeping with that. Now, maybe at some point people begin to ask this question, which I've been asked many, many times when it comes to money. Well, is it 10% then? What about the tithe? Should we still tithe 10%. If you don't know what I'm talking about, the tithe was an Old Testament um, law that was put in for the Israelite people where you would give your first 10% back to God. Uh, So whatever it was, your first 10% went. It it was called the tithe. The whole point of the tithe was this, is recognizing everything we have is from God, and therefore our first response is to give back to God what he's given to us. Uh, The tithe, the first 10%. And people ask me often, well, should we do that? Um, Do we need to tithe 10% anymore? Or now we're not under the law we're under grace. It doesn't matter, does it, a percentage. So um, we're not under that legalism anymore, that restriction. Well, what's our response to that? Well, there's probably a few things I'd say. I'd say, first of all, if, if the tithe was the basic requirement of generosity under the law, how much more... Should generosity be expressed in our hearts under grace? That's like the basic requirement under law. What then under grace? This, the tithe came before the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. It was before for the free forgiveness of sins. It was before, before the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. If that's what the law required, the minimum requirement, how much more than our side, this side of the cross, should generosity overflow? Jesus always raised the spiritual bar. He never lowered it. And this is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the journey of giving. Because for some of you, you think 10% is impossible. No way. And I'd say, well, just start on the journey. Start with 1%, 2%, 5%. Start the journey. Trust God. See what happens. Actually, the gold is not 10%. The gold is lives that are grown in ever expanding generosity towards God and towards others. Let's not cap it some people, the goal should be 20% or 50%. The the, um, guy who wrote this book, The Treasure Principle, I I recommended this last um, week. It's a great little book about this stuff. Um, We got like 10 copies last week. Eight or nine of them were sold, which is fantastic. So we've got a load more. The guy who wrote this book and many other books, he's, um, look at that, over 1 million copies of this book is sold. How how many royalties does he get? Does he take 10% of his royalties of this? No, he has chosen to give 100% of the royalties away and to choose to live on a basic wage in quite a simple life because he's understood something about the biblical concept of generosity. 10% isn't like the ceiling. It should be the platform for further generosity to grow in. We're not, like I said, trying to offer God some kind of tip. We're trying to offer back to him what he's already generously given to us. God's grace is abundant. Our response to God's grace should never be... Caps, but we're all on that journey, we're all at different places. God knows what's going on in our heart, and He knows our financial situations. So, how often should we give? I think the Bible says we should give regularly. How much should we give? Well, in keeping with income. I'm laying all this out as practically as I can because this stuff matters, because it's a spiritual thing, because we're not called to conform to the patterns of this world. We're called to think through the choices that we make as living as part of another kingdom. The Bible asks us challenging questions about this stuff. Actually, this book, The Treasure Principle, does as well. asks us questions like, have I over-accumulated? Have I allowed unwise spending to inhibit my ability to be generous? Am I growing in this journey of generosity? And time and time again, the Bible shows us that financial prosperity... Is never simply given for our personal gain, but it's actually given in order for us to share and to be generous and to seed into the kingdom of God. 2 Corinthians 9, Paul says, if God has supplied stuff for you, if he's increased your store, is what he says, it means he's done so in order that you can be generous on every occasion. And what amazing thing it is to be generous. Don't you come alive when you have an opportunity to bless someone? Isn't the most amazing thing when you are able to encourage someone by generosity. This is actually what the Bible says is truly life. So 1 Timothy, again, I read the verse last week, 1 Timothy 6. Timothy says, and Paul says to Timothy, command those who are rich not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth, which is uncertain, but to put their hope in God. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. And in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. So they may take hold of the life that is truly life. What is the life that is truly life, according to Paul? A willingness to share, a generosity, a desire to store up for yourself treasure in heaven, not on earth, as Jesus said. That is where true life is found. This one author said, every day is an opportunity to buy up more shares in the kingdom of God. We're investing in the kingdom, we're investing in eternity. Let me just finish by telling you a story. This is um, Alfred Noble. Alfred Noble was a Swedish chemist who made his fortune um, by inventing and, and producing dynamite. In 1888, he heard the very sad news that his brother, Ludwig, had died. But his grief about his brother became worse when he read the obituary that a French newspaper had written about his brother's life And then realized that they had muddled up the brothers and someone had read an obituary about his own life. And Alfred Noble read someone else's analysis of his life because they made this mistake. And this is what it said. The merchant of death is dead. Alfred Noble's obituary described his life as someone who had invented and got very rich by making dynamite. That actually his life's legacy will be that he caused death and destruction to many. And and rarely, because not many of us get this opportunity, he was able to read an obituary of his life, but still have time to change something. He was so taken aback and so shocked that this would be the appraisal of his life, that he resolved to do something different with his wealth. And so eight years later, when he did die, it was discovered that Alfred Nobel had left more than $9 million to fund awards for people whose work would benefit humanity. The awards became known as the Nobel Awards, I'm sure you've heard of them. Alfred Noble had a rare opportunity that many of us doesn't get, which is to read an appraisal of his own life and to have time to actually make some changes as to what he was going to do with it. Before he died, he ensured that he had invested his wealth in a different kind of way to leave a legacy, to have a lasting impact. What the Bible says, church, is that we as citizens of the kingdom of God have an opportunity To use our money for something that has an eternal, lasting impact. Don't store up treasures on earth that can fade and rot and get nicked and damaged. Store up treasures in heaven. Every time we invest in the kingdom of God, it will bear eternal fruit. We brought nothing into this world, the Bible says, and we will take nothing out of it. We are just passing through. But the choices that we can make today with our finances can bear eternal fruit rewards. Every time we give to something like New Day, young people's lives are changed for eternity. Every time you are doing your standing order for the life of the church, it's meaning the Alpha Courses. And parenting courses and freedom courses and children's ministry and youth ministry and parent and toddler groups are happening, which is changing people's lives for eternity. Every time we give money to stuff like Haiti or see Kenya, it means that people's lives are being changed for eternity. We're not investing our money into stuff that will just disappear. We're putting our stuff into things that are going to have an eternal reward. And that's why Jesus says it's so much better to store up your treasures there than on earth. Generosity isn't something to be avoided, it's something to be embraced. I need to ask myself, Mr. Tight, Stingy Partridge Boy here. One day when I stand face to face with Jesus, will I wish I had been less generous or more generous? Will I wish when I stand before Jesus that i had given away less or more? Jesus calls us to think about eternity. So where are you on your generosity journey? Is your life growing in this area? Have you begun the journey? Are you moving forward on the journey? Maybe like the couple in the book that I mentioned, you need to put a plan in place for how you're going to grow in the journey of generosity. Have you done an audit recently on your generosity levels? Like I said, we've got copies of this little book, The Treasure Principle. It's fantastic. Biblical inspiring, helpful, get a copy, be intentional, make a plan. This one, Simply Generous, we've got some copies of that with some some information about giving in generosity and the journey of generosity, that's at the back as well. Get a hold of one, make a plan, be intentional and pray. Church, pray, pray on your own. If you're in a family, pray with your family, pray in your life group. God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in the area of my money and my resources. Be bold enough to pray that prayer. I need to let go of my grip on money and trust Jesus more. Do you know what? Every time I've done it, he never lets you down. He never lets you down. Let's pray, shall we?